Okay, so funny story. I to prove that Portal Fantasy is for bitches. <laughs> I wrote yeah. a Portal Fantasy isek. I wrote an isekai, mm-hmm. uh, just to show that like, it's super easy. This is the Crit RPG Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything lit RPG, progression fantasy, and royal road. So you already mentioned that um, you had some you had some issues um, getting off of, of the road with your first books, uh, but, but you didn't even you didn't even talk about um, uh, Shadow Sect. How do you know that exists? <laughs> I clicked on your Royal Road page and I clicked on Fictions, and it says here Shadow Sect. Hiatus, 44 pages, five stars. Okay, so funny story. I, to prove that Portal Fantasy is for bitches, <laughs> I wrote yeah. a Portal Fantasy isekai. I wrote an isekai mm-hmm. uh, just to show that like, it's super easy. Mm. And everyone really unironically enjoyed it. <laughs> Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was like I I wrote it, and it was like literally blue mage. If you think about it that way, mm-hmm. um, portal opens up in a prison cell, mm-hmm. and uh, you have two cellmates in it. Mm-hmm. You have David Rossmore, who is a criminal accountant, mm-hmm. and you have Raphael, who is essentially Ralph, who is this fucking grunt. Okay. Um. David is like, hey, this is our chance. Let's fucking go through the portal. And Ralph's like, no, I'm going back to sleep. And so David goes into this portal and David spends the next 20 years or something like this. Like he spends the next X amount of time in this portal becoming Davros. So David Rossmore becomes Davros the Red. And he has this whole incredible, like, thing mm-hmm. uh this whole journey where he tries to completely you know <laughs> he he essentially becomes this incredible archmage mm-hmm. but there was a catch in that the way the kingdom operates is that they open these portals to summon these heroes mm-hmm. and because they're the ones opening the portals it's essentially a leash and a collar mm-hmm. around these people mm-hmm. and the moment davros started to kind of overthrow that uh, kingdom to be like, no, this is the way we should all be and blah, blah, blah. They were like, send him back. And they literally sent him back. But now magic is leaving his body and he is dying uh, because he has been cut off from this world. Mm. So Ralph is brought to the infirmary Mm. because uh, like David Rossmore is now back in his cell. Mm. Uh, It's been 20 years for him, 20 or 30 years for him. Uh, Because time works very differently, but it's only been overnight for Ralph. And so he's bleeding out on the floor, uh, twitching, looking very old and weird. And uh, everyone thinks Ralph beat the shit out of him. So he's brought to the infirmary. Um, Ralph is, you know, like, you know, David David Rossmore wants to fucking talk to Ralph. And essentially, the whole plot of the story is that Davros is like, I'm going to open up a portal. 
and I'm going to send you there. And you just need to fuck shit up. (laughs) So that the only way they can get rid of you is to bring me back (laughs) to send you away. (laughs) And And that, that, that was, that came on. People like that. And you were like, this is impossible. This cannot stand. I need to stop writing this. It was so stupid. And you, you mispronounced genius. Like the thing is, Dave Davros gave him a journal of all of his discoveries mm-hmm. and things like that. So he hands him this journal and it like, it was funny. It was funny. Essentially. It's just Ralph like arriving on like a, a grassy field where the grass is silver. There's two moons in the sky and He's reading the journal and it's like, oh, the stalkers, the invisible monsters that kill you in this location. And he's like flicking through the book and like, how the fuck do you kill them? (laughs) And it's eventually him just like there pulling tufts of grass, like throwing them up in a circle around him to be like, does any grass stick in midair? Meaning a stalker is near him. And when it happens, he just starts beating the shit out of it. (laughs) And, um... Pulls the essence into his own body, and eventually he's able to turn invisible. He's able to like sense things around him, and uh, yeah, he eventually has to fight a void spider that's able to teleport and uh, shoot laser beams. That happened in four chapters. Yeah. Oh, oh, I thought of like I I usually write things slow so you can get to know characters and stuff. Uh-huh. I said for portal fantasy. Let's just go as pacey as everyone else, and it's going to be bang, 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 exhaustion. Oh, no. And, and yeah, I realized I was there looking at going like, so it's a lot of fight scenes, but I can't figure out a fun plot for this. (laughs) I can. Co-authorship confirmed. Let's go. Let's go. LFG. Yeah, but yeah. like there was so many funny little things in it. Being like the there's a holy order, like a cult, like mm-hmm. one of the biggest mercenary groups called the Knights of Raphael, mm-hmm. and Ralph realizes they're named after him, and that Davros the Red started them, and oh. that English is everyone calls it Davrosi. Oh, nice! And and that it's like it's English, and then they're like, "You speak Davrosi," and it's like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> Just so much stupid shit. Oh right, yeah. So why did you stop writing that? Oh, it was just an experiment, and it was funny. Um, people liked it, yeah. People liked it, and it's something I could totally revisit, but that that's a story that would be probably a standalone one-and-done. Like, do it as 120,000 words. That's fun. I mean, the idea, the, the plot is just, is just great. I mean, this, this, this idea of an Isekai long con, come on. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Like, I had it that only the summoned heroes are able to absorb essence mm. from the things that they mm. they kill. Mm. However, like, there are certain um, styles that you can only absorb a certain amount of essence, mm. and if they're across a lot of different things, then it completely it removes the you know your ability to reach the fullest potential of one essence group. So Davros made the mistake of like, you know, he's able to talk to like wood, 
like because he like you know he chopped a tree down and then he's able to talk to like fucking trees and plants and stuff um which doesn't have great combat potential um but True. essentially as in like he, he was experimental in like taking essence and be like this is amazing it's a whole new world and he's like you know and it's like starting off that's like page 14 and then page like 348 would be like and he'll say on page 14 skip to this page in like a like underlined and he's just like so i made the biggest fucking mistake (laughs) just like oh my god like if only i had done this (laughs) (laughs) and and so (laughs) oh wait sorry what was what was the second guy's name um oh so ralph ralph so um, Ralph is, my God, he, he's, he's, he's got the cheat codes. Oh, this is great. Oh, yeah. So it was one of those ones where it's going to be overpowered main character, oh, uh, unapologetic, yeah. um, all of this sort of stuff. I did have an idea of a potential romance plot where Davros did have a kid uh, who is now 20-something mm. because of how time works. Yeah. So it's been 30 years for that world yeah. because in the time where Davros was in the hospital and Ralph is going to his cell, mm. Another 10 years have passed. Oh, no. So it's like, it has been 10 years since he's been exiled. So when Ralph goes through, he's like, okay, I have a few years before Davros dies in that hospital. So that's how much time I have. I need to fuck shit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So oh, man. It's, it yeah. just fucks shit up. And I, could, gonna come. I can see how you kind of maybe wrote yourself into a corner a little bit because he is kind of still a nice kind of character. And I guess he doesn't want to destroy the fantasy world. So how we, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's a few things like all I have to do is make people incredibly aggressive towards him. And it just been like intruder, kill him. And he's like, justified. <laughs> <laughs> but like, he essentially has mana swords that come out of his fingertips like that. He's able to make swords. Um, which is something that he got from the uh, stalkers, uh, which mm. is the invisible creatures. It started out as like a, like a half an inch blade from his fingertips, but then after killing more and more and more of them, he's able to make them into like you know six inch blades. Um, and then he's actually able to like shorten this one to make that one longer, uh, which is it's super cool. Manicure jokes abound. Yes, um, but no the the spider that was able to predict and learn at rapid speed and teleport and stuff. He's like, oh no, drawn out attack is very, very bad. This thing is way smarter than me. And then he gets the prediction capability and Mm. sort of, there's no stat screens. There's none of that. It's essentially just like, oh, I'm now able to, like, I think the chapter ends with the essence of the dead, like void spider going into his body and him Mm. screaming because it's literally more than his entire body can handle. Um, But yeah, it's uh, awesome. yeah, it's um, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> but what did you learn while writing that you want to improve? So everything starts with a moment, and what I always do is I ask myself why. Mm. Why will people care? Mm. Um, I suppose to answer a previous question very quickly as like what's good advice is like if it's boring to write, it's going to be boring to read. Mm-hmm. If you're not engaged with it, don't bother. Like, is this filler? Does this have actual relevance and drive towards the plot? Mm-hmm. With Quest Academy, sorry, with Wild Cards, I had this one idea, a vision in my head, probably from Pirates of the Caribbean, of a maelstrom. 
Um, so you have this giant swirling vortex on a black ocean, black lake. And you have a pirate ship swirling around in that, fighting a void kraken in the center. And I was like, that's cool. But why do people care? It's like, because, like, you know, like, this is the person on that ship is woefully underqualified to do this. It was like, why? And how can people enjoy this spectacle? Oh, because it's virtual reality. There is millions of people watching this happening. But why do they care? Why are they watching this? And be like, because he is an underdog and that this is exciting. And it'd be like, what would make him an underdog in this thing? What would make that happen? And be like, what if it was a group of heroes that have ended up turning into like influencers and sponsorship and they don't actually play the game that well at all? Mm-hmm. And that they're more interested in like promoing their own brands and their own products and things so that they don't like the viewers don't get to see this cool shit mm-hmm. anymore because the heroes are completely incapable of this level of gameplay. And it's like, okay, cool, cool. But how does he fit into all this? How does he get a place in that game? Be like, oh, it was this, it was this, it was this. So eventually answering all of these questions, how do I make the reader sympathetic to him? Oh, he has to be an absolute underdog. He was at the bottom of a classist society in a dystopian future. Be like, okay, but how does he know what he was? Oh, he used to be C-class before he became E-class. And he was doing all of this and this, and these were the friends. So, and you're answering all of these questions as you go. And then suddenly, you know where your ending is. Mm. And to get to that ending, you have all the building blocks and all of the things that you need to tick off to be able to say why or why Mm. should people care? Mm. Is this justifiable? Is this friendship given enough legs? Are these characters given the best dialogue that they could have to invest in them to make it believable when this happens Mm -hmm. or what happens when in chapter two you introduce a character who's so gruff and angry over what happened 10 years ago when the main character fell from c-class to e-class what happens when just before the fight in the the maelstrom there is a very heartfelt interview on a talk show with that gruff character finally breaking and explaining from the heart why they've been hating themselves for the last decade. Mm. And can you make people, can you make that believable? Will you make people cry? The answer is yes, I did. And then does it, is it the best kind of platform for that chapter to showcase itself? And the other thing I added, like where I was lazy uh, where it was like, you know, oh, I don't want to do play by play of every little thing happening. Mm. I created a shoutcaster, which oh. is essentially someone watching the game and explaining to the audience what's happening in go, go, go. Like, you know, it's this is happening and this is this, and, and so and so. Essentially, you just have someone explaining events and it really worked with the tempo. It really worked with uh, everything that was set up. So cool. it, it was really, really good. <laughs> so. How would you change that? Because that was the question. Yeah. So the question was like things I want to change in my writing. Yeah. Things you would go back to, back to and change. Yeah. Quest Academy was all about 
refining the mistakes I made in wild cards. Mm-hmm. The fact that it was two worlds where one wasn't given enough justice. Mm-hmm. So I would, if I was to go back to wild cards now, I think wild cards works for what it is. And I could probably leave that alone, mm-hmm. but I really think that my strengths lie in the world building of one world rather than two uh, at the same time. And if I was to do it justice, I learned how to structure dialogue by chapter 35 of uh, Wild Cards. I, like, you had no idea who was talking. You had no idea who was doing anything until the next line. And you were like, oh, oh, so that person said that. And I'm looking at it going like, holy shit. This is unreadable. How the fuck did I ever let this go live? And it's still there to this day, unedited. Um, And I'm like, ooh, this needs work uh, to get it into a publishable state. Like an editor would literally be like, I'm doubling my rate to fucking work on this shit. And like, that's how I feel. But if I was to go back and change it, it would be like structuring dialogue better, um, head hopping. Oh my God. <laughs> I, this is something that I only learned in Quest Academy because I thought I wrote, wrote a third person omniscient. That <laughs> yeah. the narrator knows everything that's going on. I write third person limited. Yeah. And I argued with my editor. I was like, no, no, no. Um, like, look, I write third person omniscient, like Harry Potter. Uh, you know, knows everything that's going on. It was like, if it was third person omniscient in Harry Potter, you would know that Snape is a good guy at the very start. But you only learn when Harry learns because it is written in third person limited. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Which is like, you cannot read the minds of other people. Yeah. You can only follow your main character. And I'm like, shit. And they're like, there are 74 instances of head hopping in Quest Academy. And I'm like, (laughs) and I went in and I changed all of them. On Quest Academy book two, Scavengers, the editor came back and be like, there is only one instance. Nice. And I'm like, oh, I got better, thank God. I was reading Wild Cards. And by oh, no. chapter three, I was like, fuck, fuck this <laughs> whole story. I would say there's at least a hundred instances of head hopping. Oh, no. And, and there's just so much to do. And I'm like, that's something I have to go back and, and learn to do. It's just... I can't explain how other people are feeling. I have to show how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. I can't go into their heads to be like, oh, like Maddox thought this and he was thinking this. It was like, no, no, no. Maddox looked really upset. <laughs> Did he? That's it. Yeah. yeah. I can I can recommend online role playing. Because people will literally lynch you if you put, you know, their thoughts like or anything they do or whatever in in yeah. your prose, people will lynch you for it. Um, so it's not, not, not a good style. So I highly recommend that because that really teaches you how to do third-person limited. Yeah, no, it's like, you do this now. It's like, I'm sorry, the fuck? Well, 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 it's a new ad. If you're interested in having your story shouted out on this podcast, please reach out to me under CritRPG dot podcast at gmail.com for now i just finished the first book in my own series torchbearer if you like a slow burn story about weak to op main characters mixing magic and technology and numbers going up 
you might also enjoy this one. You can find the link to my link tree down below. And that's all for now. Thank you very much for listening and or watching. And let's get on with the show. What did you just say? <laughs> yeah. I was like, please stop power gaming. Thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. Good. One book that you love and why is it awesome? Cain and Abel uh, by Jeffrey Archer was one of the stories that I absolutely loved for its duality mm-hmm. of William Lowell Cain and Abel Rovsnowski. Mm-hmm. Um, it's non-lit. It's obviously non-lit RPG. It's um, two boys born on the same day on different sides of the world to very, very different situations mm-hmm. um, that ultimately grow uh, alongside each other and grow in different parts of the world and ultimately try and destroy each other. Uh, using historical elements, things like that, the Wall Street crash, how everything, and I just thought it was fabulously written. Um, I thought it was absolutely brilliant, and I really, really enjoyed it. Um, mostly for the fact that, like, you were just almost screaming at the book to be like, you know, if you just talk to each other, you'd be friends. Oh, no. But okay, but mm-hmm. that it's like circumstance and misunderstandings and everything like this. Just everything got in the way. And it was beautifully done in how it did its time skips. It did really, really well in creating very, very, like, people to root for and people to resent. Um, Then you have, like, Sons of Fortune by Jeffrey Archer, which was the one straight after it that was essentially two boys, like, you know, separated at birth, twins. One is a Republican, one is a Democrat. And then both of them going for office to become president of the United States and how their whole things... It's just... Jeffrey Archer, because he's a lawyer and very well researched, he really dives into like you feel like you are in the seventies in this small town bank. Like he manages to do that so 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 well. Um, on a completely different tangent and uh, genre, uh, the Princess Bride um, oh. by William Goldman, one of my all-time favorites, um, for the fact that it's the first book that ever trolled me, um, because the entire book takes place. Uh, under the guise that it is William Goldman is creating the uh, abridged version of the Princess Bride of the original S. Morgan Stern's Princess Bride and that he wants his son to be able to enjoy the good parts of it and that he's been like trying to make this thing and there's a movie deal and they've talked to Andre the Giant they're like there's all this sort of stuff and you're like oh my god this is amazing and it's only later that you realize when I went in, I think it was 13 or 14 years of age, I went to the library and I asked for the S. Morgenstern version of The Princess Bride because I was ready to read the 64 pages of where the princess is trying to pick a hat. And the librarian gave me a, the best, oh, honey. And I was like, what? And she said, like, The Princess Bride is a complete fabrication. There was no S. Morgenstern. There was no abridged, there was none of this. The entire story of oh. him breaking the fourth wall, everything in that oh, cool. was just one entire story. And it was the first time it really showcased the power of storytelling mm-hmm. in that it's not just a story. This can be something that's like, um, it, it, it just built an entire world that I was immersed in. And the fact that it fooled me, I thought that was just incredible. And it opened up my eyes to how other stories could do it. And how stories could be told, and I really love that. No, that's I love those kinds of books that kind of stay with you after a while. I'm trying to remember which one it was for me that did that, but yeah, I can't quite remember. Anyway, shout outs. You get only get one. 
Do they have to be an up and coming? They can be anything you would like. Um, any shout outs you would like to give. See, shout outs implies plural. Yes. Okay. So. See, because I'm not mean. I know. And you just know I'm just going to break the rule anyway, so. Uh, My heart. I have met a number of really, really impressive people. Some are starting out in their journey. And, like, it's disingenuous to say I support them because of their stories. Because I haven't read them. But I've met them as people. And I know their kind of their storytelling way and how they talk to me. And I would, like, I have a lot of friends, like, so Benjamin Cry, like, you know, Seth Ring, you know, like Matt Dinneman, all these people don't need shout outs. Um, but there are people like L.M. Hughes and Rachel A. Cooper. Now, those two, those girls are co-writing at the moment. Uh, they're over on Royal Road. Uh, they've a book out, I think, on Amazon as well. But it's, I met them at Vegas. Now, L.M. Hughes, uh, she is an Irish author. And she's absolutely lovely. Um, but having spoken to them, I thought, yeah, this, like, I'd, I'd look forward to seeing what they come up with mm-hmm. and how they go about it. Because um, she has a doctorate in biochemistry. And I'm like, you can't fluke that. <laughs> like, and the, the, the draw of this genre was enough for her to like, be like, yeah, I'm going to write in this. And this isn't like a debut, like she's written stories and she's ghostwritten as well. So I'm curious to know what the culmination of all those things are going to be. Cool. Um, so LM Hughes and Rachel A. Cooper. Now, the other one would be, so TJ Lombardi. He is someone that's like become quite uh, known within Lit RPG Legion and Lit RPG groups and has his own like, you know, kind of uh, YouTube and stuff with the dying breed. Um, he's written like an FPS one, which is like a call sign bloodbath. Mm-hmm. Um, now the thing is there's like, he's written the dying breed, which is more like epic fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that has like for uh, the God King Emmanuel. And that's, I think four or five books out already. He is a machine when it comes to putting out books, mm-hmm. but epic fantasy and then FPS lit RPG. Um, they are not the like sort of written to market within the lit RPG realm. Mm-hmm. So, but he's a great guy and I know that he's going to eventually write a winner and you can see within his stories that they're really, they're well-written there's heart there and there's a lot of process organization and planning in them, mm-hmm. uh, which I really like to see. Um, I've gotten to read, um, the stories by Jack Fields and Rachel Kirk, uh, which are to the upcoming uh, writers uh, with um, to the Irish writers that are coming up with uh, the Legion uh, publishers. Um, and I've really enjoyed their stories, like because they're friends of mine. So I got to read their stuff in advance. Um, I haven't gotten around to Grand System Vending by uh, Ryan Maxwell, but it's one that I'm uh, looking forward to. Um, but yeah, like there's, there's a lot of people I'm trying to think, was there anyone else that was like that are quite new to it? I, I because like LM Hughes would be one. I, I really want kind of want to see how they go. Like I love seeing people doing well, but I love people getting their start. Mm. Um, because when people are like, Oh my God, quest Academy, like, you know, came out of nowhere. And I'm like, 
I've been riding a while. Yeah. And and like I thought like wildcards, uh, that community was gonna be like, Oh yeah, let's all support Brian. And they were like, Where the fuck is more wildcards? <laughs> what is this Quest Academy shit? I'm like, Oh no, oh no. So there's like three and a half thousand people on Royal Road being like Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> we will wait until you actually, you know, release good books. <laughs> um, see, see you can you could go in and say Be not afraid for Quest Academy is the crucible in which my skills are formed to then ultimately write Wild Cards 3, which shall be presented to you as 10 stone tablets. Oh, man. <laughs> I will send you a prophet, and he will tell you of the delays. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the burning bush is literally my desk. <laughs> just burning and be like, I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, no, there's uh, not other ones that are like coming to mind at the moment. I did meet a lot of okay, really, no. really cool people. Yeah, um, I mean, not every shout out list has to be like 50,000 people because I need to type them all out anyway. So, ah, excellent. Come to the end. Any last words before we go into the Patreon part? Um, yeah, I suppose that if people are interested in reading my stories, mm-hmm. I'd recommend Quest Academy. Mm-hmm. Because Quest Academy is the best version of my writing, the most polished version of my writing to date. Mm-hmm. Um, it is slice of life. It does have a lot of crafting. It'll probably co- come across a bit wish fulfilling. Mm-hmm. It's slower pace. It's going to have a lot of books in that series. But it is one of the most, like, it is the most fun I've had with writing mm-hmm. in a very long time. It shows. And a lot of the reviews uh, have been very, very positive. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great story that I'm really, really proud of. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, book two is already written and in final edits. And book three is starting. So The only piece of work that you've written that is higher rated is of course shadow stacked at five stars flat i think it's something like 4.87 if you look at it really let's see you just have to prove me wrong don't you 4.85 oh how the mighty have fallen Uh. thank you everyone for coming to the quit rpg podcast and watching you know the drill like subscribe give me a comment um write something like why did brian talk so much or something like that that would be very very helpful for me and uh, very vindicative um thank you so much for watching and listening and i'll see you next time and if you're on patreon then this show goes on thank you hey everyone um just to let you know we thought that at 31 minutes the main podcast wasn't really uh, all long enough so we decided to give you another 15 minutes from the bonus material or you know the second half of the podcast really um yeah i hope you'll enjoy it and it's perhaps a bit of a taste to what you can expect from uh, my patreon all right with that being said thank you so much for watching and or listening and i'll see you next time so here we are I'm hungry as hell. I'm going to order sushi in, in a, uh, for, for a minute, and then we can keep talking. I'm also going to eat it like a light snack. Because some madman was allowed into 
a laboratory where he said, you know what's cool? Cookies. And you know what we should, we should do? Make little cookie cups, fill them with Nutella, and then put another cookie on top of them. And somehow that doesn't violate the Geneva Conventions. It's addictive as fuck. I want them right now. Hmm? I feel like you're the madman for telling me those things exist without having any way to send them to me. Go with your Pringles. They're downstairs. It's far away. So, I was wondering if you also think that there is going to be a market for quote-unquote smarter lit RPG. I, I don't really want to call smarter, but um, you know what I mean? Kind of like more introspective, more literary. So, this is a hard one to navigate because there are certain stories that are written in such a popcorn way that you will have easily entertaining, uh, you know, pick them up, read them, let's go one setting and put it down be like, that was entertaining. There but like, are they stories that will stay with you for a very long period of time? Or are they ones that you are waiting on the edge of your seat for the next version of it? Things like that. I believe on the introspective thought, that's my style of writing. And I hope that there is a market for that and that there is a continued market for that. The thing I see in a lot of reviews is the pleasant surprise at how the pacing is going and how the size of the book, because like in this genre, you have a lot of people that are writing in a serialized format and I'm not a snob when it comes to serialized versus three act structure Uh, because serialized work in arcs and how those arcs are kind of conveyed in book form. It's, it really, really depends. But with the introspective stuff, um, I'm writing Quest Academy in a way that could easily, depending on how it goes, could go 10, 12 books. And you can see that from starting, and it could have spinoffs. You can see that when you read it, you're like, oh, this has legs. This could go any number of ways. But the fact that I'm writing it without him being able to punch gods to death at the end of book two, yeah. like, do, do you know what I mean? Like that, yeah. the... I wrote an academy story so I could have a runway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see that semesters, okay, I know exactly what's going to happen here, 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 and here. Mm-hmm. And at the end of three years, they graduate, which means they join guilds, and then they go out to fight demons, either on the front lines or in a support capacity control, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And it's my job to build that world to such a point that people will want to get lost in it. Mm-hmm. And that's what I set out to do with Quest Academy. And I don't like the Rambo action hero MC. I don't like the spell sword that goes out to be like, fuck this shit, I'm going to punch everything to death. Or the murder hobo or the all of these things. Um, I also hate the tropes of like, my parents died and uh, this is, I'm now an edgelord. And it's like, no, I wanted to write, you know, a character that has a stable family. Um, that was, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, you know, his parents love him. He's middle class. 
Um, and he's just going to an academy, and he's a reluctant hero. Upper middle class. Upper middle class, yes. Upper middle class. Um, see, I see your book mentioned on Facebook way more often than I see it on Reddit and on Discord, which is mm-hmm. interesting because there's like two spheres, I feel, I feel as though. The Facebook group and then the Reddit group, and somehow they don't really mingle. And I feel as though um, people are always missing half the market for some reason. Um, I think Athon is is so good because they they know how to tap both. Mm-hmm. Um, but one comment I think on on Discord was, um, I was super confused by Quest Academy because when he was getting on that train with his parents. I kept waiting for the part where they die. I didn't see that. Uh, I have no presence on Discords. Yeah, um, no, it's it's been perfectly cool, but but you know what they mean, right? Because oh yeah. Um, also, I really I really did, uh, digged the kind of Doug liked mm-hmm. the um, the part where he kind of like sees through the hero. Um, who's the trainer? And like, oh, that was such a good, such a great little tiny hook. We're looking forward to that. Seeing how that's resolved. And, so, yeah, yeah. Like in, in general, like I, I, um, I also think think just when you were about to lose me, and I'll be honest here, you were about to lose me. But like, okay, well, yeah, what's what's going on here? What's what's happening? Oh, it's it's a school story. Uh, then you have the character go like, okay. Wow, he has like really OP power if he wants to wants it to be. But there's a limit, and it's nice, and it's not like completely OP. And I'm always a sucker for um, almost like Dickensian stories, you know, where the main character meets someone influential, and it's all like Jack Max and everything. Um, so yeah, um, pretty good start. And I do intend on finishing it right after Rivers of London. So a lot of people have said that the first chapters are slow. And I was like, yep, yeah, I know. Um, there's no onus on me. I was told by countless people that I needed to start with a fight scene. And I'm like, nope, because that would be a bait and switch. Because You're starting with a careful, careful, this one's, this one's this is bad. A training montage. <sighs> no, but we do have a, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, there's so many things that have been established in the genre that are becoming a rule of thumb. And when those things end up becoming paramount, that's when things become samey. And here's the point. There's a reason why these things are interesting. And I just faintly remember that you mentioned something, right? It was a Cain Abel story. Exactly. Um, There is nothing that makes characters more relatable I found than them being misunderstood. And that's, that's just like, it's, it's so nice. Like it's, it sets up everything. But in, um, in this case, there's a reason why people start with a fight scene because it shows agency, no easier way than showing it to show agency. Um, and distinctly my book has a problem showing agency at the beginning. Right. So, um, how did you manage that? Well, the thing is, I I really don't like um, lying to my readers. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that if you're going into a more slice-of-life oriented role, if you are writing a story that is going to be heavily focused on crafting and dialogues, there's three chapters in a row of people just talking to each other in a room. And that is very, that, that will bore the shit out of the reader that's like, I just want him to punch through walls. Why is he firing an arrow into the sun? Either way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, and, and that's... But, like, that to me isn't something I want to read or I want to write. So I just write authentically to the characters that I've created. I, I, I create characters and then I write the story around them. Be like, mm. what makes most sense for them? Um, and I borrow personalities. Like if I put in a Maddox character, okay, and I was put him in, in a certain role or certain thing like that, mm. I would have to ask myself, is this being authentic to you? Because I've I can provide this on my own podcast before, but thank you. Hmm? I've never been threatened on my own podcast before, but thank you. Oh, no, no, no. I'm not like the other <laughs> authors. I haven't killed anyone in Quest Academy yet. 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 So okay. there, there will awesome. be casualties. Um, so you were, you're saying this with like this, this like quiet, you know, very, very amused smile, like, oh, well, there will be casualty. Oh, yeah. But like, it really depends. Um, you were saying, though. Yeah, no, but like, I love subverting tropes. If you look at Royal Road and you look at all the ones that kind of became popular, like the beware of chicken, this quest is bullshit, like all of these things that were like um, almost an inside joke or arrogant young master variation three. <laughs> um, you look at these stories or death, loot and vampires that take Mm. what is established mm. and they completely turn it on its head mm. and yet those ones are at the pinnacle of popularity mm. why because we're training our authors are almost like training themselves on what is popular now mm. what will like let's replicate success mm. you'll have a few people that are established that are writing their stories and writing them as authentically as they can. And then you have others that will clone what they're doing in their own style, which, which, which kind of keeps them in the middle ground. Mm -hmm. And then you have others being like, I'm bored of all this shit. What about wacky idea? Mm -hmm. And then they go off in a different path. Mm -hmm. So, and then they can end up setting their own trends or their own in jokes and all these mm -hmm. things. Um, there's so many interesting things where we take cultivation and we take all these things and we westernize it in such a way. And that works really, really well. Mm -hmm. But if you look at the likes of Korea, Korea and their manhwas and all of their kind of media, I see that as like 10 years ahead of where we are. So my market research is all about reading their stories. What is popular for them right now? Um, they're way past the VR craze and they're very much into their towers, their dungeons or all of this, but they're also constantly subverting. But if they're coming out in web comic format, they're being adapted from stories that were popular years ago mm -hmm. that got enough acclaim to warrant those web comics. Mm -hmm. So to be like a finger on the pulse of what's popular 
Um, because and myself and Ben had been talking about this, where fantasy, like lit RPG, is currently about five percent of like you know versus fantasies one hundred. If you look yeah. at that of market share, but with the gaming demographics and stuff like that, lit RPG and this style of story is only going to grow in popularity over time. And I really do think that you know keeping a finger on the pulse of like you know adding your own you know artistic flair and stuff like that, but seeing what the really well-established markets are doing and kind of like seeing how could I write that or how could I write that better? That's one of the ways I do it. 